Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. You ready? Thanks for tuning in to episode 24 on January 5th, 2021. Let's talk about the tricky yet so worth it, Calathea and Japortia. Not only can you listen to the podcast, you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC. And go check out the blog posts that are associated with all these podcasts as well. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast, my blog, and social media posts. You can also help support your favorite podcasts and blog by joining me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. And if you just can't get enough Houseplant Homebody, don't forget I send a monthly newsletter on the first of every month with also exclusive content and some updates on what happened the previous month. All right, let's dive in. So this podcast is a little different because I decided to combine two plants, Calathea and Japortia, because they're so similar. There's not really a huge difference in their sun or water requirements or anything like that. So I just decided to combine them and I'll explain all the reasons why a little later, but these plants are for the tolerant, understanding, and experienced houseplant owner. If you're a new houseplant owner, this might not be the best plant to lead you down the road to success. So I would wait till you get a little bit more experience to buy this plant. Now, if you're like, Holly, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to go get that beautiful plant and deal with it. Okay, fine. This is what the podcast and the blog is for. (laughs) So hopefully this will help you out if you really want that plant and you want to try it. If you're an experienced houseplant person and you have had really good success with them, please comment, especially on my blog, and let me and other people know what you've done to really help. But hopefully I'll cover most of it in this podcast and on the blog. So first things first, I'm going to talk about why I combine these. Calathea has been reclassified. So some of you might have already known this, but Calathea and Japortia are basically the same exact thing because a bunch of Calathea have been reclassified as Japortia. So the Plantopedia, which is a book I got for Christmas, by the way, the link for it is on my blog, says it best. So I'm just going to quote them. It says, a series of genetic tests undertaken circa 2012, however, revealed that one of the subgenre of Calathea had in fact a different ancestor. And as such, the Japortia genus was revived and 250 species were reclassified back. So basically, a bunch of Calathea went back to Japortia after they did these studies, which Japortia is a lot harder to say than Calathea. So that's frustrating for all of us in the plant community. (laughs) I've written this out phonetically for myself like five times to make sure I say it right. So hopefully I am. I might say it differently a few times. Fair warning. But after doing more research, I realized a lot of the popular Calathea varieties have been reclassified to Japortia. So all of the traditional plants that the nurseries, the plant shops, and everyone calls Calathea is actually now Japortia. There are some, obviously, that are still labeled Calathea. And I'll go over a couple of those, but I have a lot more on my blog. That being said, because this study is still somewhat new as of 2012. I got very, very, very conflicting data all over the internet. And even the books I had, the Plantopedia was the most relevant book I have because it was published in October of 2020. So I went off of that, but they only provided three varieties that I for sure knew. 
were going to be true. So I looked high and low to figure out if it was actually Calathea or Japoratia. I tried to look at university websites because nine times out of 10, they have the right information, but still I got conflicting information. So I did the best I could to lead you in the right direction for these things. Hopefully, I am right for those. And then eventually, maybe there will be a publication that comes out that will define it a little bit better. But I couldn't find any direct research on what varieties specifically are Japortia versus Calathea right now. All of the plant shops and online plant shops that I looked up just to see if they had changed the name still all use Calathea. And Calathea is considered a synonym on a lot of the websites that were using Japortia. So if you use Calathea, it's not the wrong term. It's like Sansevieria being changed back to Dracaena or being changed to Dracaena. It's the same thing. People still use Sansevieria as a term all the time, even though it's technically a Dracaena now. So it's not wrong to use Calathea. Well, technically it is. But <laughs> plant community-wide, people know what you're talking about. Okay, so I'm just going to go over probably like three of the Japortia varieties that are, I think, Japortia, <laughs> and then I'll tell you a couple of the Calathea. Most of the popular ones are now Japortia, and there's not that many Calathea varieties that have been popular in the past that are still Calathea. So, for example, Calathea lancifolia, which is a rattlesnake Calathea, is now Japortia that's one of them that's very, very popular that you can find almost everywhere. I bought one in like a three-inch pot a while ago. Um, I left it in my office at work, so I killed that one, but it was actually pretty easy to take care of, surprisingly. The next really popular one is Calathea musica, which is also commonly known as network Calathea. It looks like the leaves look like computer programming is happening or something. It's really, really cool. Almost like tiny stained glass pattern. That is now Japortia Kegelani, I think, maybe? Kegelani? There's a J in it too. I don't know how that gets in there. But anyway, the network Calathea is also now Japortia. And I'll give you one more. There is Calathea ornata, which is now Japortia ornata commonly known as the pinstripe Calathea, so the really, really thin pink or white stripes down the leaf, meeting at the center of the leaf on each side. They're kind of like a, a reflection on each side of the leaf. Very, very cool, actually. I have one of them, a variety called Beauty Star, but that is now Japortia as well and not Calathea. So again, take it with a grain of salt, people, because I did a lot of research to figure out whether it was Japortia or Calathea. Still got conflicting information. In regards to Calathea staying Calathea, <laughs> there is Calathea lietzi, maybe? Commonly called white fusion Calathea. That is not a Japortia variety. It is still Calathea. And that is probably one of the top varieties that I have seen these days on social media, and it's on a lot of different houseplant shops too, on their websites and whatnot. So you can find them decently easy, but their price might be a little jacked because they are so popular. There are a couple other varieties of Calathea that I found that are still Calathea, I think, again, um, but they're not as popular as the now Japortia varieties. So there's one called Furry Feather Calathea, which is Calathea Rufa barba, Rufa barba. Wow, isn't that a weird word? <laughs> um, the furry feather Calathea doesn't exactly look like a traditional bright, striking, colored Calathea. It has more of a 
lightly velvety leaf and it's a little bit more of a solid one color doesn't have a ton of different variegation to it and the other one is a little bit more popular i found it on sites that are selling calatheas online is calathea pictorata and there is a specific variety that's most common and it's argentia or argentia so those are a few calathea that are still calathea so i'm really only confident in two of the varieties i listed that are actually Japartia or Calathea. So the white fusion Calathea is for sure still Calathea. The the network Calathea is now Japartia, and I know that one for sure. And then one I didn't list is Japartia orbifolia, which used to be Calathea orbifolia or commonly known as round leaf Calathea. That is also Japartia now. So those are the three that I am 100% confident in because in the Plantopedia book that I got, which again was published just in October of 2020, that listed those three correctly. So those are the only three that I know for sure. (laughs) So just to give you some common names, just in case you don't want to call it Japortia or Calathea or figure out whether or not it's Japortia or Calathea, commonly all these are called Calathea. They're also called zebra plant and peacock plant. So zebra plant and peacock plant are also used to describe other plants as well, especially the zebra plant one, but peacock plant nine times out of ten, if it's being referenced, it's being referenced as a calathea. So those are a couple of the common names. So next we're going to jump into the sun requirements and then go through the water requirements and the humidity that it needs to thrive in your house. So for the sun requirements, both the calathea and the japortia both thrive in moderate to bright indirect light. So the bright light ensures that you have the most bold colors and the distinctive patterns, but some varieties can handle lower to moderate light as well. For example, the Japortia orbifolia and the Japortia majestica. But most of the time with most of your varieties, you're going to need that moderate to bright indirect light. So indirect being emphasis because you want to avoid direct sunlight at all times altogether for all varieties. You'll notice that the leaves will be almost like a bleached, almost turning white, losing their color, or even browning of the tips of the leaves could be a sign of too much light as well. So make sure you're really watching your leaf color because that could really tell you if it's in too much light or even not enough light. I was watching, for example, a video Plantarina is a website you can buy plants from, but there's a lady, Amanda, that does YouTube videos for them too. And I was watching her video on Calathea and she had an example of a rosy Calathea, which is Japortia now, but she had it in not enough light. And as you can predict, the rosy Calathea has a pink tint to it in the middle of the leaves. And since it didn't have enough light, it was turning almost like a silver. So that's an example of you want to move it to a little bit more light. The best rule of thumb is placing a Calathea and a Japortia just off of an east or west facing window. That's going to be the best position for it to be in. That way it's not getting direct sunlight. It is getting bright light, just not going to have any of that direct sunlight in that hot like southern sun. Capiche? Cool. So that's the lowdown on the sun requirements. The more complicated part of Calathea is really the water requirements. Not necessarily complicated, but you just have to watch it and that could cause some problems. So they are notoriously known 
in general for having brown leaf tips almost always. And you have to have perfectly ideal conditions and environment for it not to have that. So in my blog post, if you do go there, you'll see a bunch of images. Most of those images were taken at the Milwaukee Domes in their tropical dome, which is very humid. It's warm in there. And almost all of them still have browning tips just because they are so sensitive to everything. So that is just going to be a common thing. So if you see that happening to your calathea, don't freak out. It's very normal, but there are ways to help prevent it if you really don't want that happening. So making sure that you keep your soil evenly moist is a must in preventing those brown tips and just for this plant to be living. <laughs> you don't want to let them dry out completely because that will just damage the leaves, get those brown tips, you'll start losing a lot more leaves. So you want to make sure that your first layer of soil, I like to say about an inch down, but if you have a pot that's like three inches tall, not really <laughs> that far down for that. But if you're noticing the top layer of soil is drying out and if you stick your finger down a little bit and it is a little dry, then I would just water it again. You can also get a moisture meter reader, which could really help you. That way it reads how far down the water is, the moisture at the top versus the bottom. So keeping that soil moist is very, very important for these. Also something to just keep in mind is Calathea and Japortia are sensitive to fluoride and salt in your water. So if you have a chance to use rainwater or distilled water instead, this can also help prevent the browning tips on your leaves. I also like to make a very, very tiny note that in winter, you may cut back a little bit on watering. And I emphasize a little bit because I don't want you to think, oh, I was watering every week in summer and now I can water every month in winter. No, you're going to lose your plant. Don't do that. So <laughs> um, you might be able to cut back like a couple days on it. So just monitor that. The plants in general, houseplants in general in winter tend to slow down. They're not producing as many new leaves. Therefore, it's not needing as much water, but these still need a lot of moisture to thrive. Speaking of thriving, probably the most important thing to remember about Calathea and Japortia is humidity. So in order for these to really thrive, you might be watering it perfectly, you might be fertilizing it just right, you might have the right temperature, but if you don't increase humidity, the tips of your plant will brown. So increasing humidity can be done in many ways. The best way to do it is using a humidifier. Now, some people don't have budget for that. Sometimes they're a little expensive, so that's not necessarily the only way to do it. It's just the best way to do it and honestly the easiest way to do it. The next best thing is placing a tray of water full of pebbles below the plant. So if you have, let's say you have a extra saucer that's a couple sizes too big underneath your pot and it's full of pebbles and you fill that with water, that will automatically increase your humidity as well. So that's a great easy and cheap way to do it. Nurseries or garden centers could sell pea gravel by the bag, but honestly, it is so much cheaper to buy it bulk. Some places will let you just go take a five-gallon bucket full and it's like a buck or two. So just a fun fact there. The next thing you could do is misting it. Now, there are a lot of people that say misting is bad. There's a lot of people that say misting is good. A lot of people say it's fine. I'm kind of in between. If you can't get a humidifier and there's no way for you to really get a tray under your plant because of lack of table space or something, then misting is probably the best thing. 
The problem with it is that it could increase fungal problems and issues like that if you're spraying directly on the leaves. So I like to spray the area around it. Obviously, if you have like a wood table or something, you don't want to destroy it. But if you have a spot where you could spray the area around it and the base of the plant in the base of the pot, up the stems, that kind of thing, and you're lightly spraying the leaves, that could help increase humidity a little bit. I have even put um, minimal pebbles at the top of my plant just to kind of get that same effect as the pebbles tray, but putting it inside the base of the pot would help increase the humidity directly underneath the plant. So that's something else you could do. You can get a Mr. Spray Bottle on Amazon for pretty cheap. I got, I think, like a two-pack for maybe 10 or 15 bucks. So those are way more cost-effective than a humidifier. But the tray of pebbles, honestly, probably the most cost-effective. Now, the free thing you can do is putting your plant in the shower. <laughs> so this could increase humidity, obviously. But if you have 150 plants like me, I can't put all of them in the shower every time. Either I'm in the shower or whatever. I don't want to waste too much water. <laughs> so when you're showering, bring your calathea in the shower with you. That way it's increased humidity. It gets watered really, really thoroughly and it helps prevent pests and it wipes off the dust. The only thing I would say is to make sure that your water pressure isn't too harsh on the leaves before you stick it directly underneath the water. But that's another really easy, cheap, and free way to increase humidity for your plant. And I would just let your calathea sit in the shower even if you're done and you left because there's still humidity in that bathroom usually. So just leave it there. So those are all different ways to increase humidity and you need to do at least one of them if you're going to have this in your house. So I do have links to humidifiers and spray bottles on my blog as well. They're just Amazon links, but they're direct link right where you need to go if you want to look into those. And for a tray, honestly, just use a saucer that's a couple sizes too big. Or even if you have like a baking pan that you're not using anymore, or it's ding too much, or it's just like the paint's coming off or something, you could use one of those too. That works just fine as well. Okay, so let's go into fertilization, propagation, and then go over all the other random facts as well. So for fertilizing, I always say this and I post it on every blog post. There's really no bad way to fertilize if you're using the recommended amount or less on your fertilizer. The only way to really screw up fertilizing is using way too much fertilizer, which could really harm your plant. So I always reference the Complete Houseplant Survival Manual by Barbara Pleasant, and she says from spring through summer, feed with a high nitrogen foliage plant fertilizer every three weeks. In fall and winter, feed monthly. So this nitrogen fertilizer is meant for plants that are strictly grown for its foliage. You can find it at almost every garden center and nursery, and it's specifically talking about nitrogen because there are other fertilizers, for example, that focus on blooms, and that wouldn't really help you as well as a foliage-based fertilizer that really focuses on the foliage versus other things like blooms and whatnot. If you wanted to learn more about fertilizer composition, I have a small blurb at the bottom of my Diffenbachia blog in the fun facts section. I also have it linked in the fertilizer section on this blog if you want to learn a little bit more about it. But I probably fertilize every two weeks in peak growing season, spring and summer, starting really at the end of February 
stopping somewhere in October. And I use Espoma indoor houseplant food. Currently, it's a liquid houseplant fertilizer that you mix when you're watering. And I probably decrease to every couple months of fertilizing in winter. So they're recommending to fertilize a little bit more often than I do in winter. They do produce new leaves, just not as many. So every other source that I read says something slightly different about the time and the amounts you fertilize. But it really depends on the product you're getting. So make sure you're reading your packaging. And as long as you're using the recommended amount or slightly less, you should be good. Okay, so for propagation, it's pretty simple. There's really only one way to really, really do it, and that is by splitting the plant. Since Calathea and Deportia are really sensitive, you want to make sure the plant's a little bit more mature before you decide to try and split it. I would also expect the plant to suffer a little bit from splitting it just because these guys are so sensitive and it might take a hot second for the plants to bounce back, but don't worry. It's just because you're disturbing the root system and they don't like it. So, the best thing to do is do it in spring. Make sure your plant is a little bit more mature. Make a clean cut. Some people, when they're splitting a plant, they take out all of the soil and they move around the roots a lot and then they split it. Don't do that. Just like you're splitting a hosta in your garden, you just cut it right down the middle. Do the same thing for Calathea and Japordia. That way, the root system on either side is still intact and the soil is still attached to the root system. So you're not pulling away more root system from it. Once you've split them successfully, make sure you're planting it in new soil for both of them in well-draining soil. And that's propagation, not much to it. You can't propagate a Calathea or Japortia just through the leaf. It doesn't have leaf nodes like your typical pothos or anything like that. So you have to do it by splitting. Okay, so there are a few other random facts. This is part of the Marantaceae family, which it is close cousins with the prayer plant, Tenanthe, and the Stromanthe plants. Most of them have similar requirements when it comes to humidity and watering and the lighting it likes too. So that can kind of be a rule of thumb with those two. Lighting might be slightly different and the watering might be slightly less, but that's about it. They all like pretty high humidity. Prayer plants, in my experience, don't need a ton of humidity, but it definitely helps them and it helps prevent the browning tips just like I guess on a Calathea too. So another little fun fact is that just like the prayer plants, the Calathea and Japordia are visually responsive to lighting changes, which makes the leaves almost look like they're dancing. So at night, the leaves tend to close up and during the day, they tend to kind of open back up and face outward towards the window in their environment. So that's kind of cool. You'll see a lot of people on social media doing time-lapse videos of Calathea or prayer plants just to see the difference in their leaves at night in the morning sometimes. So it's pretty cool. These plants are native to the southern tropical Americas. So mostly South America is where you'll see them and parts of Mexico. Not as much in like the Florida area, which is kind of more tropical in the United States, but you'll mostly see these in South America natively. Calathea, depending on the variety you're getting, can range from anywhere from a foot tall and wide to three feet tall and wide. These plants do range in colors. As some of you may know, they range in colors of shades of green, pink, red, purple, and white. A lot of varieties have a green and shades of green variegation and pattern on the front of the leaves. And on the back of the leaves, it's almost like a maroon dark purple color. So that really, really shows up well when the leaves are moving to the lighting change, which is awesome. Another 
awesome fact is that Calathea and Japortia are non-toxic to pets and humans. It's only like one of the few houseplants that exist that are really, really pretty that are not toxic. <laughs> so, holla freaking luya. Two more little facts for you, and then I'll tell you about my experience with my Japortia, which I figured out is not Calathea anymore. Um, one of the most common pests are spider mites, and in my experience, it's with really any houseplant that you're dealing with that has spider mites, it's best to cut it back. Not all the way, but the most infested leaves that have the worst spider problem, cut them back and throw out those leaves. That way, those bugs won't infest new leaves, new plants, etc. So cut back that foliage and apply an insecticide, whatever one you want to use immediately to prevent it from spreading to different plants or even spreading more on that plant. I've used insecticidal soap. I've also used the systemic houseplant insect control, which helps prevent insects. But if it's already there, then, you know, it's not going to necessarily prevent them 100%. <laughs> and I've used neem oil too. But Calathea, keep in mind, are pretty sensitive plants. So neem oil might cause some damage and they might not like it as much. So if you're going to use neem oil, I would use a dilute diluted neem oil and maybe stick to insecticidal soap instead or your own concoction because I know a lot of people do DIY insecticidal soaps and stuff like that. Um, those are all the different ways that you could help prevent and get rid of pests though if you're talking about a specific product that you're looking for and I have all of those linked on my blog post as well. I've always used Bonide brand but honestly any brand works fine. I've just always used them in the past and I like it. I trust it. So a couple ways to spot spider mites is if you are someone that missed your plant or you got a humidifier close by and you're noticing when you miss the plant, there's almost like really tiny webbing. That is spider mites. If you're also noticing on usually on the back of your leaves, that's where you're going to check the most any kind of nooks and crannies on your plant too. You're noticing little tiny black dots or if you think there might be a problem, you rub your finger on that spot and all of a sudden there's black dots that kind of show up. That's also a sign of spider mites. So spider mites can spread really fast and I've had spider mites on a lot of different plants. So it's best to isolate your plant and get it under control. I should probably point out that spider mites are pretty common. Also, mealybugs are pretty common on houseplants in my experience too. At least since I've gotten my houseplants and brought them home, those are the two main things that happen for me. But thrips is also something and aphids is also a really common problem. Um, I haven't had thrips on any of my houseplants before, even at the garden center, but I have had aphids quite often at the garden center and I've, oh, I've also had scale too, but scale is pretty uncommon for me as well. Spider mites and mealybugs are the two main issues that I have, and those things you can use any of the products that I just listed here and on the blog, but it's inevitable that you will get insects on a houseplant at some point. You really have to maintain your plants in order to not get insects ever at all, and if you're doing that, great perfect. You won't have any issues. But if you also are that plant parent that you just gained like 100 plants because of quarantine, well, once in a while you might have a plant with problems. And spider mites, luckily, is one of the things you can get rid of pretty easily as long as you stay up with it and you're applying that insecticidal soap really almost every week and washing out the plant and whatnot. So just thought I'd throw that out there. Don't panic. You'll be fine. <laughs> 
One last little fact to keep in mind is that if you can avoid using terracotta pots for anything from the Calathea to Japordia to even the Maranta, Stromanthi, or Tenanthi plants, that would be beneficial. So terracotta tends to absorb water and could take away the moisture from your plants. So keeping it in its nursery pot or transplanting it into a ceramic pot, that would be okay. If you really want to use terracotta like I always do, you could keep it in the nursery pot and just use the terracotta pot as a cover pot. Or if you really, really want to transfer it into the terracotta pot only, just make sure you're placing it in a spot where you can monitor it frequently and it's getting enough water and humidity. So here's the perfect example of not to panic. So I actually got a Calathea, what well, originally I thought was a Calathea, Beauty Star at Lurvie's Landscape Supply in Des Plaines, Illinois. They have a couple locations, but their main garden centers in Des Plaines. Anyway, they had um, some good house plants, and I got two plants that were on the clearance shelf, 50% off. I got a string of dolphins, and I got a Calathea Beauty Star, which I was really excited about because I hadn't had one yet, and I just hadn't wanted to pay a decent amount for it. And the fact that this guy was 50% off, I was pretty confident that I could swing him on back. Well, when I brought it home, and that was about in May of 2020, I realized about a week later that I had spider mites. So I had to isolate the plant. I have one room in our house right now that has southern exposure um, and I keep it off the window obviously, but I kind of have all of my sick plants in that room. It turned out that the, I think the string of dolphins now has mealybugs and also has issues, I think. I don't quite understand what's happening with that. But anyway, for, so the Calathea had spider mites and it still has spider mites right now. I thought I got rid of them probably in fall and I just left it in there simply because I didn't want to take a chance and move it to the areas that have lots of plants in those areas. So I left it up here, but it still has it. And I've, I just keep using insecticidal soap. I use a paintbrush just to get all the nooks and crannies and down the stem. Um, but the next thing I am going to do that I haven't tried is taking it in the shower with me. So I haven't cared for this plant properly. I haven't necessarily watered it properly. I haven't given it humidity almost at all just because it's having so many issues with pests. So once I can manage that and get rid of the insect, I have a spot in my the lower level of our house that has a humidifier section, like a humidity loving section. I've got a couple prayer plants over there. So I will probably move it down there, but I just really don't want spider mites to get to any of that stuff too. So I'm waiting, but that's my experience with my Calathea. And obviously it's not a Calathea, it's Japortia Beauty Star. So the more I know. And also since it's being affected by spider mites, the color isn't as brilliant. And obviously the tips are all browning on the new leaves just because of the lack of humidity and the lack of proper watering and care and everything. So it is my goal to get rid of those dang mites and send that guy into a flourishing plant. It has gotten new leaves, which is very helpful. <laughs> um, so it's still growing. It's still doing okay. It's just suffering because of those mites. And I'm also in spring going to switch out the soil and see if that top layer of soil potentially had spiders laying its eggs in there and I could get rid of that and plant, plant it with new soil that might not be infested. So we're going to try that too, but we'll see. So that is all the other facts and my little experience with my Chaportia. Thanks for listening to episode 24 of Houseplant Homebody, all about Calathea and Japortia. 
Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this podcast. If you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog tab, you'll find it there. Also, there are links to Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC on my website. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're doing all the commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast, my blog, and social media posts. I love to hear from all of you and what you've learned through your own experience or through this podcast. And you can also help support your favorite podcast and blog by joining me on Patreon for early access to podcasts, exclusive content, and exclusive podcasts. So your support means everything to me and I am very excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. And don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for more podcasts and corresponding blog posts. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. Well, hello everyone. Happy New Year. It is January 5th that this podcast is released, but I recorded it on January 1st. I just wanted to stop on and say thank you for everything you guys have done for me so far this year. I just started this business, this podcast, blog, everything only in May, and it wasn't until about March that I even seriously debated on starting a podcast. So thank you for helping me get to where I've gotten. In 2020, I released 23 podcasts. I did 14 blogs. Um, I did four newsletters. I got 350 followers on Instagram and about 200 followers on Facebook. So that's just the beginning and I'm very excited what 2021 has to bring. I have a lot of lofty goals for you guys, so stay tuned. Keep following me everywhere I am on Instagram and Facebook. I post at least weekly, if not more than that. And on Pinterest, you can now find all of my blogs and all of my podcast episodes. The podcast episodes are Spotify direct links to each episode, and you can save those on your Pinterest board and share them pretty easily. So if you go to at Houseplant Homebody LLC Pinterest page and and there are two boards called blog posts and podcast episodes that have all of the links to all of them. You can also get them there or you can save them off of my website too. I have them at the bottom of the page for the podcast episode in the blog. So that's something new that I did just to help share the content a bit more easier for people and hopefully I can help more people with their plants. So thanks for all your help in 2020 and I'm excited to see where we go in 2021. Happy New Year!